0: Welcome to the Go Big Redcast,
1: the Husker fan sports show with Dave, Honky, Mac,
2: and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky.
1: Well, it's been a couple weeks since I uh, recorded last, but. Just wanted to throw another promotion out to the last show, our Husker History 101 with Mike Babcock. If you haven't had a chance yet, Redcasters, to listen to that one. uh, Definitely do. It's a timeless piece, so it doesn't matter. You can listen to it anytime.
2: It is
0: amazing. It's one of our best shows, really. Thank you. And
2: it was only Honky and Neck. Um, Also with Boomer.
0: Well, Redcasters, I know uh, American sports may be shut down, but the Redcast is here for you. Don't worry. Uh, Today, Honky will be breaking down the Liga Primera de Nicaragua soccer match, upcoming between uh, Deportivo Ocotal and Las Sabanas this Saturday, so stay tuned for that.
3: (laughs) Uh, Also with Mac. What's up, fellas? It's good to talk to you guys again. I'm, uh, you know, because of what's going on, I'm recording from home tonight. Oh, I I guess I do that every night, but no big deal. We're all weathering (laughs) the storm. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> trying out new mics to now, too, Redcaster, so bear with us on this.
2: Yeah, podcasting and stay-at-home orders really go well together. They it's, really do. It's a good point, Max.
3: And drinking. Yeah,
2: yeah, which <laughs> has gone up exponentially during this whole situation. Uh, listening in live tonight, actually, is also Redcast Rob, our number one fan and the senior account executive of the Go Big redcast Redcast. Um, so Rob may randomly uh, chirp in at some point and uh, – Humor them, folks. All right. Let's get started. You know, we can't really start this particular Red Cats without at least acknowledging the pandemic of COVID-19 or coronavirus, however you want to call it, going across our country. We don't want to spend a lot of time on this. We want to talk football and have a good time. And hopefully our listeners will enjoy the show tonight. We did skip a week, as Honky mentioned Uh, It's been two weeks, right, Honk, when you released the Mike Babcock interview? Mm -hmm. And that got released a week early because uh, I had to actually uh, text these guys on a Tuesday morning and and tell them, hey, you know, out here in Denver, um, my whole family came down with symptoms of the coronavirus. In in fact, uh, it was a a pretty scary night, and we had a a video teleconference with – A doctor, and um, even though we haven't been tested, uh, because the tests are very hard to get, it is a um, a presumed positive in the Gastros household here. So it was a rough few days, but we recovered relatively quickly, and uh, we're we're on the mend. But we did have a good excuse for missing a red cast. So uh, it's it's a real thing, folks. It's it's, uh, happening to everyone I know there's not too many cases in Nebraska yet, and hopefully that stays the case. But, you know, Mac, you're uh, a paramedic there in Lincoln. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, you probably haven't had any uh, too many, uh, you know, first-hand experiences yet, but, you know, what you're expecting to see?
3: We've been really lucky just because of our geographic location and the way we're populated and that uh, we've had a chance to kind of stock up a little bit and brace ourselves where I feel like, man – the heart's got to go out to the coast. You know, those people in New York, those hospitals, those nurses, they're so overrun. And it's just, you know, it's a supply-demand thing, and they're completely overrun. So can't say enough about those guys. But, you know, also, <laughs> I think about this, too, because sometimes my medic friends get a little self-righteous. But, you know, when I go to the gas station in the morning to get stuff, there's a lady there taking money, and, and she's just fine. You know, she didn't have a mask on either. So there's a lot of people out there working, and, you know, <clears throat> it's cool to see America kind of rallying around each other to get the country going.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Mac. You know, hockey, you've probably, uh, you know, had to go to Costco and, and all those type of things, right, to stock up. And uh, you do have all those other kind of frontline folks still, still doing their jobs, right?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting on a throne of toilet paper right now. <laughs> but I, I've been working out from home, as many of us are, for the last couple of weeks. And the day I was sent home was the day they were starting to cancel sports. You know, you think about just how abrupt – a lot of these changes happened. I mean, it was Creighton basketball, their season ended in the middle of a game at halftime. And Nebraska played one game and the next day the tournament ended it. It's crazy how abrupt life changed. There is a pre-COVID-19 and post-COVID-19 America. And what I'm wondering is how long this will have an effect on us. It's not just about, you know, getting the virus cleared up and we go back to normal. I just I think there's gonna be new normals for everyone when this is all done. But at least for the time being right now, the main focus is getting to that post-COVID-19 life.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, Boomer, uh, Honky brought up that very surreal day when like everything started to get canceled, right? I mean, the night where, you know, the NBA had the Rudy Gobert diagnosis was just a surreal moment to see that on TV and, and realizing that everything's shutting down, right?
0: Yeah, I'd have to say that probably goes on record for the, eh, the top five of the weirdest marches I've ever lived through. I, I don't know, you know, how else you could put it, but uh, it's probably still going on somewhere in an alternate timeline. That that march was never going to end. <laughs> Let's just, like Anki said, hope we can uh, get past this and try to establish, you know, whatever the new normal is going to be and... You know, Nebraska, for the most part, is doing a pretty good job with, like Max said, where geography works to our benefit to a degree. You know, our major cities seem to be doing a decent job sheltering in place as much as we can. And, you know, we do see the people that are really essential to our day-to-day lives still out there working. So let's just keep that up, Nebraska.
2: That's right. I mean, I think Omaha and Lincoln need to be more on guard in some of the other, you know, smaller metro areas, I guess. But uh, I I don't imagine the the cattle rancher out in, um, you know, Cherry County needs to... Be staying at home right now, so we'll probably end up talking a little bit more about uh, the impacts on the coronavirus pandemic, on sports in general, and Nebraska football here a little bit. But we do just want to talk about Husker football as well, right, Honky? So we did get a, a new recruit during this time period, and you know, actually, a lot of offers have gone out recently to 2022 QBs, right? Mario has been busy.
1: Yeah, Dave, that was Christopher Paul uh, from Georgia. We got him a couple weeks ago now. I- Feels like, you know, it's been a while. (laughs) But uh, anyways, he's from Georgia, so we're getting a guy from that SEC area. Mac, I know you've kind of been following some of this uh, with the uh, image and likeness stuff that's been going on. Mm -hmm. Open Doors, the Lincoln Mm -hmm. Company with Blake Lawrence and Naughty Kunalik. And Paul, when he committed here, he tweeted out – Something uh referencing, you know, how Nebraska can help market me. and yeah. So it's already kind of playing some dividends.
3: Yeah, you, you can tell that that was something that they used to pitch him and it, it made its way to Twitter. So, you know, that already having an impact. You know, we haven't had much of a chance to talk about this because it happened, you know, when it dropped, it was like COVID was the next week. But to already be seeing uh, results from that partnership is pretty interesting. Now, what's it my, my concern about those kind of things are always what kind of player are we attracting? But, I mean, if that's what everybody's doing, I guess that's what everybody's doing. But it's interesting to hear somebody so quickly after that was announced saying, oh yeah, this was a big deal to me. And that's why one of the reasons I committed to Nebraska. So we're ahead of the curve. Ooh, probably shouldn't have said. <laughs> We're trying to flatten the
2: curve, Mac. Come on. <laughs> and so the other thing I mentioned was uh Mario Verdusco being out there offering twenty twenty two quarterbacks. We don't really need to name into dive into names and, and whatnot, but uh I guess my point is the recruiting staff is very busy still. You know, they've done so much work already in the twenty twenty one class, I think. And honky, maybe we can talk a little bit about how uh this coronavirus pandemic is impacting recruiting across the country and we've obviously not have anybody visiting campus right now it's going to change all the recruiting camps etc this is kind of a big impact uh, how well do you feel we're positioned with recruiting considering the situation that we're facing right now yeah I think nebraska is really well
1: positioned and for a lot of the things that we talked about prior to all this covid 19 and talking about the offseason how this staff had gotten itself ahead, in the recruiting game, um, really benefits it right now. Now there have been some rules that are changing because of what's going on nationally. The dead period was extended. It was normally going to end on April fifteenth. That's now going through May thirty first. So that's extending the dead period where coaches cannot in person talk with players, but they can still you know Zoom and you know Skype and whatever the devil the kids are in these days. All the all the technology uh, they can still contact them, but just not in the in person fashion.
2: You know, Honky, I think the kids uh, like to use Skype for business. That's their number one go-to for video conference. I thought they were into Microsoft
0: Teams, Dave. Isn't that their thing? I, I don't know.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, they're going to get rid of Skype. So, you know, that makes sense. They're already transitioned to Teams. Totally. Uh, so, Boomer, there's been some national uh, media types, Kirk, Kirk Street being number one, that, that got a lot of traction and, and a lot of pushback at the same time, I suppose, on saying you know, I don't think there's going to be a college football season in 2020. And I've heard Brett McMurphy on on one of the local shows, I think it was on Sportsman, like Conduct make the case of like, you know, he's like, I don't know if there's going to be one in the fall of, of 2020. But for all these financial reasons, I think they have to play somehow, right? And so it's way too early to, to know what the answer is. But it feels like uh, we may have to be ready that it's going to be a, an unusual start to the football season,
0: at least, right? Yeah, I think that's probably something sports fans should at least brace themselves for the possibility of. You know, we don't know what can happen over the summer or what hopefully some great medical advances, you know, that they should be working on. Uh, but we do need to be ready for any sort of scenario. Things could be fine and the season goes off like we'd planned, or it you know, there is that possibility that it could be canceled. People always harken back to the, you know, the Spanish flu outbreak of, you know, 1918-19. And the pattern that followed was, you know, it was harsh in the spring, then it died off in the summer, and then that fall is when it came roaring back and most of the deaths occurred in that. And there's actually a really good article on Husker Max today about um, the 1918 season and how, you know, the the team kind of reacted to that and the the program the university and you can see a lot of the same questions that we were dealing with, they were trying to deal with back then. You know, they also had that other little inconvenience of a world war going on at the same time. So thankfully, we've avoided that so far. So, uh knock on wood, everybody. But uh, you know, they started off that season. It, they had a ten game schedule planned with games against like Syracuse, West Virginia, Notre Dame, and things like that. And then you get travel restrictions, and then you get this flu outbreak, and they canceled the university in early October. They couldn't play a lot of the games they wanted to, or they had to scramble to try to find opponents that they could play, and they had money concerns there, too. And they ended up playing just a much shorter, you know, six-game schedule than they originally planned. And the season was supposed to start in late October, and they'd only played one game by early November because they just everything was canceled you couldn't find games to play and it, it was tough and I think the teams they played one of them was um, played Iowa in October and then they ended up the next team they played in November was Omaha Balloon
1: yeah <laughs> they played their first five games in Lincoln and the sixth game they played Washington of Missouri yeah, in St. Louis, Louis yeah. but they played Iowa Omaha Balloon Kansas Camp Dodge mm-hmm. and Notre Dame who they tied 0 to 0
0: yeah it was an interesting <laughs> interesting series there's a bunch of articles they linked to it. it's well worth reading so if you have the time which a lot of us do at home now so go ahead and take advantage of that. But, you know, these concerns are real, and the the budgetary concerns are a big part of this. I don't know what you do. It's, it's going to be a tough decision to make, and I don't know who makes these decisions. Callahan had a decent article about that today, where he talked about that. When you look at all the other sports, like, you know, college basketball, you have the NCAA that can make the decision to shut down March Madness and things like that. But for college football, you don't really have that. The conferences are in charge of their own schedules and their TV deals and all that, so... How does that work out? I, I don't know. So this is going to be a lot of people, a lot of heads trying to figure this out. A lot of money, you know, at stake here. You're going to have those questions of, you know, is it right to bring athletes back to play sports if you can't have, you know, the kids in, on campus studying? Is that going of defeat the purpose of what a university is? There's going to be a lot of, a lot of questions that have to be answered here, and and probably going to have to be fairly soon. You just can't bring people back in September and hope to start playing a game in a week or two. They're going to have to be a practice in practice and shape. There's a lot of questions that have to be answered. Yeah, I, I think I heard that most of the uh, sports
2: trainers would say you need a, about sixty days of of those guys back uh, to get in condition before you could actually say you could be ready to to play a game. Considering the layoff that we're we're facing, and football in particular is an interesting spot here. And this is a, a fault of of the system that we've created, and we've talked about it many times on this show. You know, all the other college sports, NCAA does have some authority, especially from a championship perspective, right? And that's simply not the case with, with football. And so that could be another reason why the college football season will happen to in some way and shape and form because uh, a driver of this is the college football playoff and their partners, which would be ESPN. And then ultimately for all the other revenue, the other other TV partners who will be very interested in figuring out how to get a game on. So if, you know, we can continue this uh, PSA a little bit here of, you know, stay at home is gonna maybe save the college football season, you know Mac what didn't happen as Boomer described the Spanish flu in nineteen eighteen is they didn't really flatten the curve right mm-hmm. and um there's only so many uh paramedics out there <laughs> going to be able to to respond to calls and so many hospital doctors and nurses et cetera right and and that's the the point here is we're trying to buy some time right now right. with stay at home orders and and other. You know, things we're trying to do, because if we can buy time to Boomer's point, maybe we can start to have more testing, better solutions uh, while we wait for a vaccine.
3: Yeah. Yeah. If anyone listening to our show needed a better reason to snap into attention and stop gathering in groups, the threat of losing (laughs) the threat of losing college football should have done it. It's just crazy to me that we're at this point in, in the world. Like when I think about it, I'm like the entire world is affected by this. Nobody's having a good time right now. Like nobody's on vacation. We're all that's just it's crazy to me. Nobody's out there partying. It's that's like, the nope, truth. better be home. And that's worldwide. But, you know, the funny thing about this is, like, I will take football in any form this year. Like, that's my mindset right now. If I can get six games out of this team, I'll be fine with it. You know, like, I just need us to find a way, the smart people in charge of the NCAA who still want to get paid, I truly believe they will find a way to get some games on this year. That's my thinking. I'm like, I was shocked when they did that March Madness, but they had no choice. I mean, it was just so early, but but the time they have now to figure out how to do this, I I, I mean, if the XFL can play with nobody in the stands, certainly college football could do it, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a great point, Mac. I, I feel like the the time that we're buying here, hopefully, yeah uh really will change the perspective. I, I understand the Kirk streets of the world saying, like, how are they gonna do this? And but I think this idea that we have to wait for a vaccine to resume life is is also probably unrealistic. And I think uh just from my personal experience of feeling like I've had the virus but uh have not been able to confirm that because of the unavailability of testing needs to change, right? Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, you know, let's talk about this. Let's turn this to be more positive, right? Because I think there's a lot of positive solutions out there. And one of them is the ability to, uh, let's, let's say here in the near future, in the next couple of weeks to a couple of months, we do have testing available, readily available. And it's quick testing where you have like two to five minutes that you test somebody and you know if they're positive or negative, right? Once you start having that ability, uh, and you can, can quickly uh, quarantine and isolate uh, positive tests, and then you can do contact tracing where you then you can figure out who they were in contact mm-hmm. with over the last couple of days or whatever. Then you're going to be able to manage uh, the spread a lot better. We have the total inability to manage the spread right, right. now, which if you didn't then did that, you I could see a scenario where it, and it's not just college football. It would be anything. Let's take Major League Baseball, for example, and they're like, hey, we want to start in June or whatever, well, let's go ahead and bring all of our players back to spring training. Let's test everybody when they walk into the facility, let's isolate them inside that. So they, they aren't going to be in contact with anyone else. Mm-hmm. And let's resume spring ball or spring practice, right? Um, spring training. So they can start to be ready to, to actually play. And um, you could jumpstart things if you had testing mm-hmm. and the ability to isolate and that's what goes with, with college football, et cetera.
3: So, yeah. Especially at those sports early, if, if they could do that and kind of show a model of how they get that done, you know, and that we could translate that to other sports to get things back going. Because we got to get it back going. It can't just not happen. I mean, there's there's too many lives, too much stuff riding on this stuff. So you can't, you know, bring the economy to – I mean, that's – we're talking August, September. I mean, guys, think how much the world changed from two weeks you know like to <laughs> to speculate on something's going, and you've got this many smart people you know working hard to try to figure something out it's just it's impossible to speculate on prepare for the worst, you know hope for the best that's that's kind of how I'm feeling about it emotionally <laughs>
2: <laughs> hockey uh you know you've probably heard like uh at least half dozen random proposals for college football, right like start the season in july when or or before the the second um you know, bump or, you know, uh, only play conference games. Don't play in front of fans. Uh, simple. One of our our favorites uh, really like the idea of playing in, in uh, small stadiums without don't have any fans. I guess he really wanted to see a Nebraska game at Pawnee Park in Columbus. I don't know. Um, or we're starting in January and we're, we're having a national championship in May. I mean, do you have any of those that you actually like or prefer?
1: I can't imagine football not being played in front of the 90,000 people. I think from a budget standpoint, they need those sales. And you start getting it on the TV next spring, and it's competing against March Madness of next year. I mean, it's just hard for me to imagine this not being in its its current state, playing it during the fall and shortening the seasons. I mean, that's maybe the closest thing I can think of, is trying to have it at the, the same time that you normally would have it, but in a shortened, condensed way. But even that comes with its own... Negatives of just not bringing in the same amount of cash flow and everything. I mean, this is a it becomes a money issue and a budget issue, and it's just it's tough right now. I don't, I don't have
2: a good option other than let's have this COVID nineteen beat by yeah by that time. Again, another reason to stay at home, right? So you get a full season. It, it would be a compromise though, right? Let us let, throw out the idea, Boomer, that we only play conference games, right? Like it's not not safe until we we want to have fans in the stands. We can't do that till October first, so we're going to condense the college football season, cut out the non-conference games, which have a huge ramification to group of five uh, and FCS teams. So that'd still be something we'd have to handle. But let's say it's only a a conference schedule for Nebraska and to then compensate, they've expanded the playoff to 16 teams. What do you think?
0: Well, you know, I'm always big on playoff expansion, something I'd like, but, you know, not the way I'd like to go about making sure it happens. Uh, this isn't the way I would have drawn all that scenario up. The idea of just conference games, I could see that happening, but you brought up that point, Dave. I mean, what does that do to all your Group of Five and your FCS schools that need some kind of revenue that they had been getting from these games with Power Five schools? I mean, do you have to honor those anyway, or does the NCAA need to have to step in and and pay for that somehow? Because if they don't get that revenue, then how many of them are going to be here the next year or two years from now? And that. Throws all your schedules that, you know, Nebraska's made out through, what, 2087? Sometimes I think we've scheduled that far in advance, it seems. I mean, there's a lot of teams that, you know, may not even have a program if they don't get the revenue every year that they need. So that's something all the schools, all the Power Fives, the NCAA is going to have to figure out. And maybe that's something they do need to consider is that turn the playoffs into that March Madness kind of scenario where the NCAA generates revenue from it and can distribute it to everybody, to all the teams or all the conferences or all the programs or something. Yeah, Maybe that's an idea that comes out of this, a positive for everybody. I that's don't know. a great
2: point, Boomer, because, I mean, they've already lost money on March Madness this year. Right? Everybody got reduced paychecks, essentially, right? Um, so they're going to have to figure something out. And, and yeah, we're talking about – you know, some of these smaller FBS or FCS schools where their entire athletic budget is blown to bits. Some of them are already in trouble to begin with. You could imagine a, a lot of, you know, Ball State women's golf, I mean, gone, right? Something like that, right? And, and you're like, oh, who cares? Well, a lot of, you know, golfers, <laughs> teenage golfers in in Ohio and whatnot probably care a lot about that. There's a lot of people that be impacted by not playing a college football season. Uh, folks that you don't know about right now, but that would have a huge impact uh another aspect uh, outside of just college football is uh the uh spring sports that got canceled here uh baseball being the most prominent with Nebraska obviously but we're talking track and field and all those that were just kicking off uh they have uh, allowed the scholarships for the seniors
0: to extend into next year boomer yeah correct that was the uh, that was the ncwa's you know announcement the other day they're allowing those to extend and again that uh, that also comes down to can the schools afford it so that's another question that comes up on that and then you know that comes up with all sorts of other ramifications too like what does it do to incoming freshmen you know that may have wanted to play or planning to play soon or or your current juniors and sophomores are planning to step up into big roles it affects everything A roster management is a mess yeah it, it throws that into a complete whack and i don't That's a challenge for a coach. I have no idea how you manage that because now you've got. Well, and then you don't even know how many of these seniors are going to come back. When do they have? Do we know when they have to have a decision made by? Did they put any time frame on that? I I don't know. A good question. If they did, because man, it throws that into a flux too. It's just. There's so many questions here. And then, again, you don't even know if you're going to play next year. I mean, who knows You know, at this point? This is where people earn their millions as coaches. So let's, let's see what they can do with it. Yeah. I mean,
2: college baseball in particular is in a tough spot because the major league draft has been reduced to five rounds. And so uh, hundreds and hundreds of players that usually would get drafted in round 33 or whatever uh, are not going to be drafted this year. And so not only do you have uh, essentially a, an entire senior class with the ability to come back, a bunch of guys that might've elected to leave because they went in the 18th round and signed a $100,000 signing bonus aren't going to get that. And so they're definitely coming back because what else are they playing for? And so uh, you have a situation where there, you have uh, some really challenging roster management scenarios and uh just gonna have uh big big impacts across the board and yeah if, if we're not playing college football the Honky's liking in fall uh and they do let's say play college football in january let's say that's the scenario well college basketball actually starts practice in october and games in november you know i mean that's gonna have to get pushed back and so uh, this could just waterfall, so I really am hopeful that um, all of these preventive measures to stop the spread uh, make a difference now and so that we can get back to normal sooner than later.
0: Here here. And now, scarlet colored glasses.
1: Let's go into the mailbag here. We've had some questions that have come in over the course of the last couple of weeks, and this is, I think, a good time to talk. And the first one that came up was from Jeremy Brandt on Twitter, and he said, please just talk football. I don't care if it's all Kool-Aid hype talk. Just talk sports. I can't handle any more coronavirus talk at all. So uh, we waited till now to tell you that, Jeremy. But uh,
2: <laughs> Sorry, Jeremy. I apologize.
1: <laughs> but we'll move on here. And I guess another question we got was from Scott Dace. And he asked about the best husker games to watch during the time of no cast uh going on, no redcasts. Just in general, what are you guys watching right now to kind of you know pass the time, you know, and have it go by? I'll start with
3: you, Mac. Well, that's a dynamite question, honky. Um I gotta tell you, I've I've kind of been all over the map. Obviously, uh we're all on this uh Tiger King show. Fascinating, ridiculous. <laughs> At least he's from Oklahoma. Yeah, right. Is the is the Iowa Cup? Is that real or did somebody make that up or that, that uh, I saw the Iowa Cup. It's real. Oh, really that's yeah. fantastic. That is great. Uh, but the other thing like as far as like random football games I've been watching on YouTube, um the 96, I think it's Orange Bowl where we played Virginia Tech for some reason, it's just a forgotten bowl game to me. But that was a that's a fun one to watch if you're looking for a a successful bowl game to watch, you know. And in a quick
2: uh, quiz there, Honky or, or Boomer, who was a Virginia Tech quarterback? Jim Druckenmiller.
3: Druckenmiller, one of the great last names, yeah. Druckenmiller, Mister Mister Hang Clean, six hundred and fifty pounds. <laughs> Drunkenmiller. <laughs> he was the heir apparent to Steve Young. Do you remember that? Yeah. That's right.
2: Yeah. I forgot about that. Exactly.
3: <laughs> that Damon, Damon
1: Benning was the uh, MVP for yeah. that game. And right after that game, that's when Peter and Wistrom had to make you know a real decision. Are they going to come
3: back and play in 97 or not? Mm-hmm. And uh, the rest is history. You know who's another, that era that we never really hear much about and has had a interesting career was D'Angelo Evans, man. You know, when he came in, he was such a spark plug and you thought this guy was going to just tear it up in the next in the long line of good Husker running backs. What do you have, groin issues and then some maybe yeah, attitude right. issues? and But jeez, there was a couple games within that that his time, like the Kansas State game, man, he tore it up. I mean, he's just kind of a fun, like quirky player that nobody ever talks about, ever, D'Angelo Evans.
2: That's a good point, Mac. That's a type of running back that you would love. I remember we were on campus as students at that point and you know, D'Angelo liked to talk a little bit. And mm-hmm. I remember him saying like, you know, oh, Amon Green, he's, he's over with, you know, I'm going to be starting <laughs> next year, all yeah. this type of stuff. And then that groin injury popped up and he was never really the same after that. That's a, it, you know, great Kansas back, kind of the, uh, Barry Sanders mold, really, that never, never oh, panned yeah. out because of that. I was just going to say that, you know, I don't know how many Redcasters have listened to us for a long time. So you may have heard the story, but the reason we played in that Orange Bowl is because we lost in the inaugural Big Twelve championship game in St. Louis, where uh, the Red Cast was there, and um, that was a tough game to the stomach. But they had excellent Mr.
0: Pibb, right, Boomer? Best Mr. Pibb I ever had was at the uh, inaugural Dr. Pepper Big Twelve title game. Mac, I I remember we went down on halftime and both got a Mr. Pibb, and we just shared like a moment. Drinking that, yeah, yeah. Well, it was it was bizarre. We didn't even have to say it. Rarely anything.
3: is something that clear. You know, it's like this is the purest Mr. Pibb yeah. I've ever had in my life. It we was, didn't it have was, to
0: say <laughs> it. We just kind of looked at each other and nodded. And
3: yeah, it was, it was magical. I, I, I don't, transcendent, yeah. really. Yeah, I have no it's, idea. A, it's my it. favorite moment of that trip, to be honest. Yeah, it really was because the yeah. game tore my heart out.
1: Yep, that that was a brutal game. Now, Boomer, were you in red or were you in burnt orange? Well, I
0: I wasn't burnt orange at that point because as Redcasters, you may know or may not. I am from Texas originally, and you know the first games I grew up watching were Texas and Texas Tech playing. So there is some of that aspect of it. I I don't hate you know the Texas schools for the most part, and I I tend to root for underdogs in most of my sports. And Texas was one then, and it's
3: changed since. So.
0: He came to the good side, guys. It's okay.
3: That game, I was going to say, me and Honk were merciless to Boomer on some of that. (laughs) Because, I don't know, you were more pro-Texas back then. And then when it swung back, oh, man. I mean, we were just... And I, I think you started clapping in Honky's face, and I I thought for a second that could have been fisticuffs <laughs> because I mean you had every right. Boom! We were dogging you, saying the worst stuff. We were so cocky, and then they slipped that tight end. Speak for yourself. I was I was a just a. Oh man! Yes, and that tight yes. end slipped behind the linebacker, so it's like no. <laughs> I will say we made great time coming back. <laughs> we made it back to Lincoln, Nebraska, from St. Louis, and. Two hours and 45 minutes. It, it was it, <laughs> it was, was the a quickest car trip car. back <laughs> we from flying. St. Louis I've
2: ever experienced, Mac. That Bonneville was maxed out. Yeah, we were out.
3: cooking. I was like, let's get ahead of this crowd never stop. We're never stopping. <laughs>
2: I think we might have been the first people back into Lincoln. I'm pretty <laughs> certain.
3: Yeah, that was a horrible drive home. Great trip, though. It's like so many of our trips have turned out. It's like hey, everything but the game.
2: Yeah, you don't need to tell me, Mac.
3: About, I know, dude. Yeah, that was the start.
1: Road yeah. You know, I haven't been watching a whole lot of stuff necessarily, games, I, I, you know, other than what I see a few things on social media here and there. Actually, things I've been doing is paying attention to social media, things like pick six previews that have been going through their brackets of the best teams from 1994 to 2019, which Nebraska went right through it. There was four teams, according to his Game Grader program, that qualified for this big bracket, four Nebraska teams, it was the 94, 95, 97, and 99 teams. And all of them went deep into it, into the final <laughs> eight. Uh, the only time Nebraska teams lost is when they played other Nebraska teams. And it ended up being the final was 94 versus 95. And I didn't see the final number, but I'm sure 95 handily won it. So 95 is the best team of, of that era. Again, 1994 to, to 2019. And the amount of Husker fans that seemed annoyed by it, um, I just find funny because they're annoyed that Nebraska fans took over this poll and, and did all these horrible things that, you know, instead of having the rightful one Miami versus 95 Nebraska or whoever they think should have been the, the final matchup, and I'm just, to all of them, I'm just like, screw you. <laughs> you can't convince me that a 94 or 95 or a 97 Nebraska team— any one of those three. They all went undefeated. They were all part of a sixty and three dynasty. They're all part of the last years of Tom Osborne. You can't convince me that any one of those teams couldn't have beaten anybody else in that time frame of, of nineteen ninety four to two thousand nineteen. I don't think anything skewed. I don't think that this was just Nebraska fans taking it over. Those are three really damn good teams. And and I've specifically I had some great um Twitter conversations back and forth with Doc Talk with Rob Zazka mm-hmm. talking about. Who do you think really Nebraska. wins that
3: game though? Like Like, 94 95. That's a really good game.
1: I'll tell you what, man, because it's so many of the same players, anyways. I mean, it's Tommy Frazier versus Tommy Frazier, essentially, right? But I'll tell you what, when I look at a team like 94, that pipeline offensive line is going to win a lot of games for you against anybody. I'll put them up against 2001. Miami and I don't care that Miami has this NFL roster. Colorado had an NFL roster in 1994 and that team went right through them. And in 97, I just said it a little bit earlier after that that 96 game against Virginia Tech Guys like Wistram and Peter had to make a decision. Well, they decided to come back, and they're part of that 97 team. And don't tell me that 97 team couldn't line up and play the 0-1 Miami team. That's just stupid. You look like an idiot if you sit there and say, well, Miami had a bunch of NFL guys. I know they did, and they still almost lost to Virginia Tech.
2: Okay, so, hockey, I actually I totally get where you're coming from. And I, I really liked your back and forth with Doc Talk because – that the ninety seventeen does get overlooked significantly, I think. In this whole thing, I would say the ninety nine team, which uh, minus a a hiccup against Texas in the regular season, they actually fixed in the Big Twelve Championship game, also was you know a heck of a team. And and I, I I I think that you make all the points that those teams could beat anybody else. Boomer, let me throw it to you though. Honky said that he does not think the polls were were overtaken by Nebraska fans. How, how do you feel about that statement?
0: Well, I mean, I guess if that's your big concern, I guess you're just mad that democracy just doesn't work or something. I don't know. I mean, I know, mean, I, I think that hockey... The people that show up to vote, it, it's a fan poll. I mean, that's what it's supposed to be. I mean, it's this wasn't like, let's sit down with just a... You know, this wasn't the Electoral College of you know, football know It's a fan polling. poll, yeah, it's a my fan poll. point. It, it, it was meant to be fun, and, you know, people can voice their opinions. And these aren't bad opinions. It's not like they were picking the... You know, 1998 Duke team to be the best team of all time or anything like that. I mean, these were all valid opinions.
2: But Nebraska fans are going to pick Nebraska teams. No,
0: Dave. That's the problem.
2: I mean, are you kidding? Are you telling me I had more
1: issue, Dave, with Nebraska fans. That took offense to the fact that Nebraska was in it. Yeah,
2: that I don't, that doesn't make any sense we had to me. Nebraska fans
1: you. that were like, this was supposed to be a serious poll. And there's no way that these Nebraska teams should have been up there in the top. It should be 95 and then anybody else. But those other Nebraska teams don't deserve it. And I'm like, you are totally discounting just to go over 97 for a second. Cause 97 was the team I believe that beat 01 Miami. And they're the one that very specifically got called out as they could not compete. And I'm like, oh yeah, because that team went to number two Washington and won a game. That team destroyed and by the way, destroyed Washington, beat them up. I mean, knocked Heward out of the game. Destroyed number three Tennessee that had Peyton Manning. So they beat the number two and number three teams, both on on away or neutral sites. Um, that's already higher than any team the 0-1 Miami team beat. The best team Miami beat was number four Nebraska, and we know how that good that team was at that point in 01 um nebraska beat the number 14 team texas a&m beat them 55 to 14 something like that miami plays the number 14 team virginia tech and they win by two points on a missed two point conversion at the end of the game i mean results matter too i get you can look at a a roster i have people sending me rosters and look at all these nfl guys
2: i don't care results matter too mac uh uh, maybe I'll rephrase this, Honky, because I totally, actually, I'm, again, I'm not actually debating that, and that sounds like the clarifying point that you just made is that your uh, issue is with some of the Twitter comments uh, trying to just say that this is a ridiculous poll. Again, Mac, I, I totally get what Honky is saying there, that that Nebraska teams deserve to be in the 16-team bracket and uh, could beat any of those teams that he's been laying out, including 2001 Miami, but... Nebraska fans are well known to take over <laughs> online polling really well. Yeah. I don't know why that is. I really would like to know why we are so more active as a fan base on these type of polls than anyone else. Because Kirk Herbstreet has had an issue with us on, yeah. on, on that. Because when you put a poll out there, it's a challenge to Nebraska fans to click yes. And we're going to find 8,000 ways to click Nebraska,
3: right? I think it's probably more of a result of our lack of success on the field, to be real honest. It's like, well, here's another thing the fans can control. We're going to win this damn thing. You know, it's like, well, okay, we'll sure. try. You know, I, I really do feel like that because you don't see Alabama winning a lot of these things. And why not? They should be, you know, they've got a huge fan base and, but <clears throat> it's not honk. It's not an unfair accusation to say Nebraska fans take over polls. That, that's, that's true.
1: It's also not an unfair accusation to say Nebraska goes undefeated. A lot of these teams, the, my, the Alabamas, how many Alabama teams went undefeated? Not a lot of them. And when we're talking about greatest of all time, that's part of it. What gets discounted here is Nebraska had undefeated national champions. Most of these teams that we were going up against, any of those Alabama ones you're talking about, a lot of them already have one loss. And what's funny is I had one guy respond to us and say it was destined it was destined that it was supposed to be 95 Nebraska versus 01 Miami. He goes, every poll, everybody says that. And I immediately, within three seconds, sent him a link to an ESPN poll that was done that had, of all things, number number four was 1995 Nebraska of all time. Number seven was 01 Miami of all time. The number one team was Nebraska in 1971. So what's funny is that don't tell me that there's any destiny that these teams are supposed to be there. I don't know. I mean, it's all hypothetical anyways. But my point with Nebraska <laughs> there is when you're an undefeated national champion, you're already going to be elevated to, a, to a, a level where, I mean, you are, you're going to be talked about in that, in that category.
3: I mean, maybe. I don't know. That, <clears throat> I, I see what you're saying, but the fact is we dominate polls. We always do. We really do. Like, look at, look at, look at, uh, Wandell Robinson, Mr. Kentucky. I mean, it was, what, what, how did he win that? Because Nebraska fans jumped on it and just destroyed that to, and, and got him that award. It, it is what we do. And it's fine. It's no problem. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't. Here's my point though, Hank. Just because that happens doesn't mean the other things aren't still valid. It doesn't mean that, that 95 still isn't a really good team. 97 is a really good team. And all, I mean, like, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like you're mad because we're we're going head to head. But also, you you want to be – it has to be somehow, I don't know, validated? I'm not mad. I'm annoyed that people
1: discount how good those other teams were simply because, in their mind, we had one good team in the 90s, 95. The other ones were just deficient somehow. I'll tell you what. You go and you talk to Rob Zaska about that. I'll tell you what. he, He thinks 94 could beat 95. I guarantee you. He called 95 his backups. And I love that. I mean, that's the mentality of those teams. So my point is those teams had the all of them equally from 93 to 99 all had a mentality of no one's beating us. I don't care who you are. Even when we did lose, we, we mentioned the Texas loss, right, in the, in the inaugural Big 12 title game. We lost games. But, man, th- there was a mentality there. And, and you're going to tell me that any one of those 97 guys, the Grant Wistroms and the Peters and all those guys, are going to say, no, nah, you're right. We couldn't. We couldn't. Hang with 0-1 Miami. They had a bunch of uh, NFL guys. What, are you kidding me? We can't play with them.
3: I feel like we just. I feel like we just buzzed by each other in the night there. I'm not sure, but I loved it.
2: <laughs> All right, honky. What else we got, mailbag wise?
1: All right, so we had a question from the Walk on Redshirts podcast. Uh, if Nebraska had a zombie apocalypse, who would be the last player standing?
0: Well, that's a bit unexpected. Are We talking current players, former players, or where are we going with this? Uh, just.
1: I think you can go with anybody.
0: what in god's name kind of question is this well maybe you go somebody like you know darren erstad because he could swing a mean baseball bat and that always seems to come in handy and you know like the walking dead and things like that so maybe that's a good choice i don't know i I think that's fair
1: here i'm going to throw you a softball and this is one that boomer you introduced this person to mac and i and we've all had a chance to to have beers with this wonderful man. But Chance on Twitter, he asks us, what one former player or coach would you like to sit down and have a beer with and why?
0: Well, you know, we'd, we'd always, you know, enjoyed having our beers with Milk Teniper. He was a great, yep. great man to have. Just sit around and enjoy drinking and talking and stories he could tell you as some aren't fit for podcasts, you know, kids, you know, suitable or otherwise, but never had a bad time drinking with him and sure miss that guy um you know and the other guy had always like you know Jumbo's team would be great because not only could we talk football it would be basketball too so yeah, there's all sorts of options there so but yeah milt we miss you
1: yeah yeah mac we had a wonderful night at the at a, a local watering hole in lincoln with milt sitting there drinking but you know god 10 15 years ago now it's been that's you know, those are memories that, yeah,
3: he's number one on my list on, on that question. Anyone you'd like to sit there and have a beer with? Um, Actually, Barry Switzer would be a lot of fun just because oh. he'd have a whole bunch of Husker knowledge. And I think, you know, if you can't, if Milt's already taken, and I don't necessarily think Tom would offer up a lot of juicy stories, but I think Barry Switzer would have a ton of good stories with Nebraska connections in it. So that would be a blast. Mm. Uh, we had a question on Facebook
1: from uh, Patrick, and he asked about the favorite plays in Husker history. Uh, Dave, do you have uh, any plays that come to mind?
2: That's a good question. Um, well, I did see the uh, 2001 uh, Black 41 reverse pass in person. That was pretty cool to actually see that um, in the stadium. Um, not my favorite year, per se, for team, but that was a, a pretty awesome moment as loud as all hell in there that that game um
3: Mac you're in the uh stadium for Alex Henry's kick weren't you yeah I was there with uh with my brother Patrick and uh my godson Sean and that was pretty magical because you know it was Colorado and just the the length of it and the, it was a night game or it was at least night by the time it got to that point um really special moment in there you know, but. That one, I remember Lawrence Phillips's like 42-yard run against Florida in the uh, Fiesta Bowl. Blew my mind. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say those, obviously, Schlesinger's touchdown run in oh, 94 yeah. was was pretty special. I mean, I don't know. It's hard. To, sometimes you conflate favorite with just the circumstance versus like the, the, the skill of it all. Because, man, Crouch's run against, was it Missouri, the ni- like the 90-some-plus yard one? Was it 99? Yeah. yeah. Like that That's was an right. amazing run. Although, the time he trucked. That Iowa safety on the way to the end zone—that was fantastic too. There's a there's a lot of good plays in Husker football history, and I'm I'm not even going into the the scoring explosion or anything Johnny Rogers wise, but just what I've seen. Is the, I, I could use some more though, some fresh ones. Wouldn't mind. Oh, I wouldn't <laughs> mind updating those to the twenty teens.
0: Yeah. How about you, Boomer? Oh geez, yeah. <laughs> there's so many to pick from. You know, just trying to pick the ones that that I watched either in person or on TV. You know, the the flea kicker was just fun just because it saved that 97 season. It deflated Missouri because I hate <laughs> Missouri more than most teams in the old Big 8. And just, you know, where we watched that, we were watching it with friends in Kearney, and one of our friends, Eric, was just so nervous about it. He he couldn't even watch the game. He was downstairs in the stairwell smoking cigarettes and eating waffle crisp. Chain smoking, and he... Yeah, chain smoking and eating waffle crisp, and you know that's just, how we used to do it. We had to explain to him what happened just to get to that point. That because was we so started actually point. coming back once he started doing that, so he refused to actually come yeah, up. Yeah, so and watch so it. he had to stay down there. He wasn't allowed to come yes. back up and watch it. So that that actually worked out for the best, you know. You know, sometimes it's you know just like Mike said, it's not even necessarily those huge moment games. Just you know, like when Amir Abdullah um, against McNeese State, just one man willing a game winning a game for us essentially just the, the plays he made in that game were just outstanding cuz god forbid if we lost to an FCS program you thought we were in you know, dire straits now you know that would have been bad then yeah, too it's a good call. so just just watching those kind of plays live is just great and you know I was there for the for the crouch uh play as well there's just been so many to see and oh gosh hockey um when we went down to ANM to oh, purify. Uh, gosh what was
3: yeah, verify caught that game. That man. was
0: so much fun just for the, just for the the setting and the atmosphere and the fact we couldn't quite see the actual catch where we were situated you know, in the game, but it was just just a great time and the atmosphere around it was was awesome. That's so. a great one, Boomer.
1: You know, we had the literally the worst seats in the country for that catch because we were four rows up, but we were in the end zone on the same sideline a hundred yards away, and we had the A and M. I think sideline was in front of us, in between it, so we didn't get to see. The, the the catch actually happened. So I didn't even look at the catch. I was looking across the field at 25,000 cadets, you know, waving uh, their white flags or whatever they had, you know, and all of a sudden 25,000 flags just go down at the same time and the place goes quiet. And I'm like, well, something good happened. And, uh, and then Boomer, the other thing is, remember, you know, their field <laughs> at, at Kyle Field is – it's sacred. No one's allowed on it, but it was the last game of the year, the last home game. And for some reason we waited around for about a half hour and we just walked onto their field and took photos at midfield. It was cool.
0: Yeah. They were going to tear out the the turf and replace it. So they let, they actually let people walk on it, you know, that last game. So that was always one of the, the great moments of some of our Mm -hmm. away games and, you know, just going to A&M itself. If you've never had a chance to go there, it'd, it'd be a team I'd love to play again, just because I'd love to go back and, one of the best experiences in college football is going to an A&M game and seeing their midnight oh, yell practice cool. before. And their fans are great. Stadium's fun. Great campus. And, you know, seeing the memorial for the bonfire is, is moving. So if if you get the chance, listeners, mm. please that do. That would be a good non-conference matchup to
2: revive. No doubt about that. Yeah. You know, an, another quick one uh, from a home game experience would be uh, the highlight of the the Riley era would have been Brandon Riley's uh, mm. out of bounds inbounds catch. I was there for that one as well, uh, and right on that side, I was probably about the thirty yard line, maybe ten rows up, and so I had a great great uh, sight lines for that one, and that was a great experience. And then the the team celebrating at the end was pretty cool, too.
3: Yeah,
1: I was at that game with the Redcast Gary in his seats. It, I'm sure he's listening. 50-yard line, 30 rows up on the west side, and you get done, and you don't leave the stadium because Let Me Clear, my throat was going, on. you know, the whole place was just going nuts for, for 10 minutes after the game got done. And, you know, never mind the fact that we were 4-6 and six at the time, but you <laughs> That's know, right. even, even with the win, but who cares? Um, you know, yeah, I, that that was a great moment. I One of the plays that actually sticks in my mind is the Kareem Moss interception at the end of the 95 Orange Bowl, winning Osborne his first national title. Because even though we had just sacked... Frank Costa, a couple of times in a row, you know, the Terry Keneally sack and the Dante Jones, Dwayne Harris one where everyone converged on him. It was fourth down and fourth and forever. And we look on it now in historic terms, we look on it and go, well, of course we were going to, you know, knock the pass down. Of course we were going to win it and, you know, go on to this dynasty. But at that moment, we were the most. Snake bitten team in the country. The year before, against Florida State, we, they went right down the field on us after we had stopped them. You know, so in my mind, we it almost felt like we were going to lose that game until the last possible second, until the last second ticked off that there, we were going to find a way to lose to Miami, and we didn't. And we catch that interception, and the team's going nuts, and Frazier goes out there to, to kneel on the ball two times. And I mean, that's just oh my gosh! You know, Osborne got the monkey off the back. That is the greatest. I don't know if there's a better moment for me in Husker history than that moment. Just when, when we realized it had happened, it was official. Nebraska was on top.
2: That's a great, great question. Honky Boomer Mac, uh Did it take until uh Keneally sack or was, did you have this sense after Schlesinger's first tee to run or his second that this was going to happen? Because, uh, you know, I just rewatched that game and uh, it was interesting. It took us a while and it really was that fourth quarter where we established that, that dominance. And it was great to listen to the commentary. Uh, Chris Collinsworth was just all like, you know, Miami speed, Miami yeah, speed, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Then at the end of the game, you got John Dockery saying, yeah, Warren Saps out of breath, blah, blah, blah. It was really
3: interesting to, to listen to that. No, I was, I'm with Honk on that one. Until we got the ball back, it was, I was pins and needles, man. Or not pins and needles, but I was on the edge of my seat because <sighs> I, I just hadn't seen a national championship. I'd only seen last minute heartbreaks on that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And they, you know, they still had speed. They had great athletes on that team. You never knew when they could break one. So, yeah, huge, huge. Because then you could celebrate. Then you could just explode. And that was, you know, after Schlesinger, of course you did, but it's like, man, start looking at the clock and like, all right, whatever. But, yeah, amazing. Boomer, what's your recollections of that uh, moment? Yeah, that's
0: a good question. I, I felt a lot better about that one because uh, you did really feel you had a lot of momentum, you know. Because a lot of times in you know those prior bowl games, things just kind of started slipping away from from Nebraska at some point. But this one, things seemed to be you know going in your favor. But again, like like Honky and Max said, it, even in it Florida State that year before when we took that brief lead, then you know Florida State came back and and won and questionable circumstances that I just remember being annoyed that whole night eating cheese and crackers and in the kitchen by myself in the dark listening to ESPN talk about how, you know, oh pie on my face, Nebraska could compete with Florida State because everyone thought we were going to get blown out in that game and they didn't, but yeah, I ate a lot of cheese and crackers <laughs> at night. But anyway, uh, yeah, momentum felt better in this game but you were you're still never sure. You couldn't be sure at that point and it felt good to get that monkey off the back finally yeah. Now, just watching it last week, my recollection was a little
2: bit more like Boomers, where even though you're right, I'm not disagreeing with Honky and Mac. you never know, and you're just like, you want to see it over with. But I remember feeling really good because of that momentum. I mean, Miami wasn't doing anything in that fourth quarter. I had a lot of, let me put it this way I had a lot of confidence in our Nebraska Blackshirt defense that they weren't going to let that happen. And uh, they 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 proved that out. So uh, that was a great, great moment, obviously, for us as RedCast members here, because that's when we first saw our own national championship. We heard our our parents talking about uh, the 70 uh, and 71 titles. So we were so happy to get our own. Which bowl game did you guys think was more fun? That game against Miami or the following year against Florida? Well, less stressful-wise, I mean, I I loved watching against Florida because they still had the whole Florida speed uh, thing going on. Corso infamously uh, said the grass was going to slow us down, all that stuff. And it was pure dominance. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was funner to, to just kick the, you know, what out of Florida and prove that once and for all that we were a, a great team. From a game watchability standpoint, the the first game was the far better game.
1: Yeah, well, we hear so much, you know, we were talking about the polls and how Husker fans take over polls, but we would Don't go down. Don't say
3: it like that. But, just like,
1: <laughs> but we would go down to, to the Orange Bowl, and we we couldn't take over the Orange Bowl when we were playing Miami. We are playing them on their home field, and even with a great showing of Husker fans, 25,000, 30,000 fans at, you know, tops, it was still a majority of Miami fans. You're playing an away game in a bowl game. And so it was a different setting. That next time when we played Florida – in arizona and our fans traveled the way they did and florida fans didn't travel the way they did it was a home game it was one of those great moments where i mean so the setting was totally different i mean it had if there was a game i ever wish i was at that i wasn't it would have been the florida game because it would have been a party in the desert that you just dominated the team you know i mean that that, that combination i think would have been just amazing so you know anybody that went to that you know good good for you guys because i mean you you gotta you gotta watch a, a very fun night but i think from a, just a The the 95 Orange Bowl beating Miami and getting the monkey off the back 11 years after the the two-point conversion against Miami in the same stadium. I mean, heck, even just the stadium. The stadium wasn't around that much later. By the time we played in the Orange Bowl against Peyton Manning, it was a different Orange Bowl.
2: I think it might have been the last one, actually. Wow. Uh, you could check that, Boomer. Yeah, so, Hockey, to your point about the kind of disrespect of other 90s Nebraska teams, let's talk about the 97 team. They beat Tennessee in the Orange Bowl. What was your sense going into that game? I mean, were you like, this is going to be a blowout, we've got this? Or were you concerned about Peyton Manning? What were your thoughts going into that one?
1: Not in the slightest. We were so dominant for so long. You know, Again, that was the 60th win out of 63 games. And by that point, we're, we're going to kill everyone, right? And then the fact that Osborne just announces his retirement two or three weeks earlier, it was like, oh, I feel bad for you guys, Tennessee. I mean, I thought we would take care of them from the, the get-go. The only thing that was unique to me in that game was that it took about a, a first half of Tennessee throwing everything in the kitchen sink up against our, D, our offense. It took a little while to get going in that game. I mean, there was a point, Tennessee's going down the field, And that's when Jamal Lewis runs around the left side and, you know, it looks like, you know, he's building up ahead of steam. He might get a touchdown. We could be getting down early in this. And Ralph Brown makes an unbelievable play, an incredible play as a corner. Not, you know, throws away the receiver who's blocking him, just jumps into Jamal Lewis, causes a fumble, Rucker lands on it. And then we started to get a little bit of momentum going. You know, we get in the halftime, I think we're up 14 to three and the the O-line's telling, you know, Osborne, we got them that, you know, these guys are wearing down. Just, just keep doing what you're doing in that third quarter. That's 200 plus rushing yards. And I think by the end of the third quarter, we were up four touchdowns, something like that.
2: To hockey's point on NFL talent, that was NFL uh, player, Jamal Lewis, uh, getting tackled by Ralph Brown, NFL player, Mm -hmm. and then Mike Rucker, NFL player. So there was Mm -hmm. a lot of NFL talent uh, during those championship
3: games on both sides of the ball, whoever we were playing. Well, it's funny too, with 97, I, I didn't sweat Tennessee at all that year going into that game. I felt like we'd win that easily because, you know, the team we really wanted was Michigan and we couldn't play him. So, yeah. you know, that was, that would have been the deciding game. That would have been a game. I'm not saying make no mistake. I think 97 Huskers stomp. Michigan, I'm not worried about that at all. But, but I would have been more nervous about that game than Tennessee. Tennessee didn't scare me at all. Peyton Manning kind of had a bad senior year, you know. Came back, big deal. He didn't really, you know, set the SEC on fire that year. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, we did fine. I wasn't worried about that. Amon Green had a huge game. Scott Frost threw well.
0: Yep, good stuff. If you come down to those missed opportunities with the the stupid Big Ten back in the day, would you rather have played Miami in '94 or Penn
3: State? I would have rather played Penn State, although there was there was a, a bit of like poetic justice to beat in Miami too. So it's hard to say catharsis. Yeah, but if we, you they're, will. they're they're both. I mean, we owe Penn State. I mean, they had that out of bounds catch on us. It's it's not like yep. they're off the hook That's too. Right. So That's true. I mean, that would have yep. been pretty fresh back then.
0: That's true. I was gonna say, Dave, they they did play the Orange Bowl again at Orange Bowl Stadium in '99, and uh, Florida International kept playing there for a few years till like 2000. So did the which, Orange though, Bowl go today. back in '99? Yes, for some weird reason. They, they left pro, pro, pro Player Stadium for a couple of years, and Florida and Syracuse met there on uh, ninety nine. Intriguing. So the nineties season. Did not know that. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, th- I think it's a good question, Dave, and it's a whole other show. I, I've even thought about, you know, after we did the show with, with Babcock, which was kind of Hustler History 101, we went over basically a century, I kind of thought we could almost do episodes in the future of, like, decades and just break down, like, the 90s. The 80s, and that could, you know, maybe that could be some offseason chatter is just to really go more in depth because you just can't do that the way we did the the Husker History 101. But you think about it, or even by season, some of these seasons could, have, could be an entire show by itself is just really breaking it down at that level. Because I think it's a great question you asked, you know, Penn State or Miami, who should it have been? Well, I look at it and I'm like beating Miami in Miami exercised so many demons, but it also allowed – Penn State fans to think they had a chance against us, and they didn't.
3: And they had some
1: some offensive talent.
3: They've, Where's you, Kerry Collins going to go when we come around the edge? Oh, to give me a break! Him. Come on, is Johnny Carter and yeah? I'm worried about Hardings and, and Brady. their are tight end, tight end. Yeah. No big Bobby deal. Ingram.
1: I you know yeah. they had some players. You know, of course they did, but nobody was beating that Nebraska team there by the end of that season. And you know, Michigan. Look, I mean, you know, they're going to think that they had a chance in '97, and that's cute, but. But that Nebraska football team, you're telling me Tom Osborne going out at the end? Lloyd Carr's going to beat Tom Osborne? Lloyd Carr lost to Bill Callahan. No. Sorry. Not happening. Tom Osborne's winning his final game as a coach in 1997.
3: Yeah, no matter how good your cornerback is, yeah, I, just, I don't care. Oh, against Nebraska, you got a really good corner. We're probably
2: not throwing a Woodson side in that Fantastic. game. In my sense, yeah. right? Yeah, that's a really
3: good point. We would neutralize him considerably. Listen, I'm a pa- I'm a former Packer, fan, or I guess I'm a Packer fan. I'm a former NFL fan. That's what I should have said. But I like Charles Woodson. I like he's he's a baller for real. But yeah. he's
2: one of the great players of all time. I I, absolutely. Think we I'm just saying that 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 when you throw the ball eight times, you're going to just avoid what's inside. I mean, you just never would have thrown it to <laughs> just him, man.
3: Yeah, and we yeah. wouldn't have punted.
2: Uh, I, I, to Honky's point on that 94 defensive line and just the defense in general, I mean, watching that game, Frank Costa just got beat up like a ragdoll. Same thing with Werfel the next year. And mm-hmm. McBride was so aggressive in those games. It makes you – long for those days where our Blackshirt defense, not just from a talent perspective, mm-hmm. from a like scheme perspective. I mean, how many times we have blitzed someone, whether it was a Jamal Williams or a Trail Farley or whoever, um, that was just causing chaos in that backfield. We'd always bring that one extra guy. Mm-hmm. And we had enough trust in the secondary that they could cover the guys long enough to get that one extra guy through. Yeah, I think the the play of the game
1: that doesn't get talked about a lot in that Florida game was play number two. It was Terrell Farley knocking the ball up in the air and not catching the interception. It was a clear interception. He should have had it. But the fact of the matter was that was a go-to route for Werfel that he had thrown a hundred times, a thousand times, whatever, that season. And it was open every time. It was a go-to. You just throw it. It's the quick slant. And we're five wide receivers. You don't know. Yeah, how to they just emptied
3: the backfield. Yeah.
1: Just empty it. And and we. I can always throw that. And when he throws it for the first time and there's a guy standing in the way and knocks it down – I mean, Werfel, I think that got into his head from the first moment. And then if you start having any doubt at all against that defense, if, you are, if you're checking down to your second and third guy, you better get rid of the ball quick because if, if Tomich and Wistrom and the Peters, if they aren't getting you, then it is a blitzing Farley or it is a blitzing Jamel Williams. Someone's going to get to you and quick. And that's what ended up just happening time and time and time again.
2: Another thing I noted in that game, Mac hunky, you probably know this, but it was just great to rewatch it for from my perspective. Was how much a rotation that defensive line was happening. Right, it wasn't just the Peter brothers and and Tomich et cetera. There was there was so uh, there's a full second line that was in there. All of that uh, was Penfield, I think, or something like that. Was a, he? Yeah, I think he got a sack in that game. He's a linebacker there. I mean, the the sack in the end zone for the safety.
1: Scott Saltzman and Larry Townsend are your two defensive tackles. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's one of the funniest moments for me is their left tackle for Florida. I think Odom was his last name. He comes off the field and he's trying to explain something to Spurrier, and Spurrier's just yelling at him like it's the left tackle's fault. And Spurrier just blew it. They have four wide receivers and then they motion their running back out. So now you're going five wide. And Nebraska sends four defensive linemen. The two ends are Wistram and Tomich, all Americans. They come across and the tackles picked them up perfectly. Uh, Saltzman and Top Townsend do a, a stunt. They pick it up perfectly. Middle linebacker Coleman, blitzes. They pick it up perfectly. This offensive line gets a A+. Plus. They have nobody else left to pick up Jamal Williams, who comes in clean and just nails a quarterback. It is totally on Spurrier. Spurrier completely had, if he would have just left his running back in the backfield, at least he could have had somebody to pick him up, but the fourth and fifth and third receivers weren't even didn't even have a chance to look at him for, uh, for Warfel. The pressure brought on by McBride was just amazing. I mean, that game, oh, it's a thing of it beauty. It seemed like
3: any time they emptied the backfield, that was like McBride's signal. Okay, all right, we're bringing it. And like every single time they emptied it, we blitzed and got home or at least disturbed to play a lot. Yep. Gosh, I miss those days. I don't know if it's making me more depressed to talk about that. Or less. Uh. And I guess my point
2: was, it's not just the NFL talent that Nebraska had in the field that made that. It it was the second yes. and third team guys that were still doing that, right? The depth on those teams were extraordinary.
3: They were, yeah. uh, The yeah. running
2: backs. The running backs. When you have no off, Amon yeah. Green, Clinton Childs, and David
3: Benning. Jay Sims was. <laughs> so,
1: all Jay Sims did was run for 80-yard touchdowns when he'd get on the field.
2: Incredible. Extraordinary Incredible. stuff. That was great. Enjoyed the mailbag. Enjoyed the show overall. Uh, Let's get out of here with some parting shots. Uh, Honky, I'm sure you've got like three or so, right?
1: No, I'm going to keep this one to one. We we spent a lot of time talking about the coronavirus for all the obvious reasons. And I try to tie things back to sports and how sports can educate us and teach us on things. And, And no one better than Osborne. I think of him, I've read all of his books, and I think of some of the sage advice he has given over time. And he used to talk about with his football teams, control the things you can control. You know, you're going to have a bad bounce, a bad reffing, you know, decision, all those things. And this is a crazy time right now. And it's a depressing time in some ways. And, you know, what can we do to fix it? And what, you know, what can you do? And all I can say is right now, control the things that you can control in your life. You can't fix the economy by yourself and you can't cure this disease by yourself, but you can control your actions. You can, you know, be nice to people on social media for one. You can You can stay inside and listen to the, to the experts telling you what to do, control your own actions. And, and I think if everyone kind of does that, everyone plays their part. Um, I think we're going to be in good shape, you know, hopefully in a few months here. And I think a lot of the talk that we had earlier about, you know, football seasons and all that can take care of itself. If if we can take care of each other and take care of the situation.
2: Great point, honk. Mac, what do you got for me?
3: Um, I'll just piggyback a little bit on what honk just said. Um, you know, one of the things that we have going for us right now as a society as we have to distance ourselves is our things like Zoom calls. And, and, you know, we did one the other night where we just, you know, chewed the fat for about, I don't know, an hour or so, two hours or so. And it was a blast. So, you know, even though you you got to be a part, there's, there's lots of ways to connect out here. And it it's a great opportunity to kind of sit down with some friends and, and drink responsibly and stay home and not drive, folks. So, Silver Linings. Boomer, what do you got?
0: Well, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd echo what those guys are saying. You know, find ways to to keep your sanity during all this it's it's we're all in different areas we're all in just weird times here it's it's new for everybody how do we deal with this challenge uh find ways to to stay in touch with people whether it's you know through our podcast through social media again use social media nicely don't don't tear into people there's enough stress on everybody right now find you know find ways to share your talents and, and interests with everybody uh, you know, one of the things I'm doing at work is, you know, I've got a couple people, in you know, I, I'm indulging my plebeian uh, interests in uh, getting people into pro wrestling there. So I'm putting together a list of the, the must-see pro wrestling matches of the last, you know, 40 years, if you want to understand pro wrestling. I, you know, I've got everything from the, the Flair Steamboat matches in 89 to the first two War Games matches. You know, anything like that. If you have any you'd like to share, Redcasters, that you think somebody has to watch, go ahead and share those with us, and I, I can add those to the list, but... You know find ways to interact with with your family do take advantage of those things that you've people have always said, "Oh, if I had the time to do x y z, well, you've got the time now, so go ahead and do it folks and and we'll get through this together, so we're here with you. I love everything you just said, boomer, except for the the wrestling part. God, that sounds awful. I'll get you into it, honky. I'll share the list with you as well. So we'll sit down. We'll we'll zoom it or something. We'll stream some of them together. Right. Uh,
2: yeah, to each their their own, I guess. On that one, we have had a couple of good uh, Saturday roundtables that uh, really could have been interesting podcasts, <laughs> but I think maybe we just had one too many um, uh, cocktails, <laughs> I, I suppose. One other uh, good
3: sports one to watch, Dave, is if on YouTube they've got the the uh, ABC Wide World of Sports. Dig oh, into yeah. that. There's some fantastic, like Evil Knievel jumps. Which are just ridiculous. And then there's these super high dives they do in SeaWorld. And they're just average dudes calling up there. (laughs) And they're talking to the camera. It's like, yeah, it's pretty high up here. Uh, I got a little (laughs) concerned. Never gone this high. But dig into those. are so fun.
2: All right. Well, um, we're going to call that a a red cast. If uh, the red casters have other things that they want to – have us talk about in the next show uh, please let us know including pro wrestling and everything in between so for now call that a go big red
0: cast go be good stay safe conduct the baron